0: We have reached what, what I might call the halfway juncture in our journey on the chase, our chase series, and as we think about the series and where we've come, I kind of want to hit a little bit of a refresh. I want to hit kind of rewind and come back forward because we have been talking about something and, and people have joined us all along the journey. Maybe it's the first time with us today, first time ever with us, and we want to catch you up to speed. And and I think the best way to do that is maybe take the first 90 seconds and just kind of hit review on that. And you're thinking, good, I didn't have to come the past several weeks. I'm going to get it all in 90 seconds. And so, well, that may be the case. You'll have missed some of the points. But here's the main thing. We've been talking about this phrase, follow me. Uh, It's a phrase that was not just used once. It was not just used by Matthew. It was not used by Mark. It was used by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It was used twenty times in the Gospels. And so it's a major thread that runs through there. It's a big invitation given by Jesus to follow him. Now, again, that may seem a little passive, a little kind of waltzing with Jesus through life. Uh, No, 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 no. It's so much more. It's a chase. It's a pursuit. It's something that he's called us to. It's uh, the life that he intended us to live. And that's where we've been chasing after, pursuing after. And this life is not a laissez-faire, okay? So here's just some bullet points. Real quick, 90 seconds. One, you can't go with God and stay where you're at. He is a God of movement. He is moving and he, he, we're going to go with Him or we're going to get left behind. Uh, he's calling us to go with Him. The very fact that He says, follow me, gives the idea that you're supposed to go, okay? You can't, you can't get anything else out of that. Uh, you've got to go with him. Where he goes, how he goes, the speed he goes. Sometimes he goes faster than you want him to go. Sometimes he goes slower than you want him to go. Don't, you don't set the pace. You don't set the course. You don't set the direction. Follow means you're not leading, means he's leading, okay? So lots of things wrapped up in that statement. But one of those you just gotta get is, you can't stay with where you're at. And go with God. Okay, there is a movement that's going on uh, in, in that very invitation. I learned this 25 years ago in a, a study that I, that I that I did, and it was like it, it blew my mind. And from that point on, it's like, okay, where is God moving? How can I join Him? What? I, how can I go with God? And that's just been a part of the mantra of my life. Here's the second thing, put in, in in your thought processes to follow Him equals to be a disciple. Okay? Big, big, big thing here. Okay? He didn't call us to believe. He didn't call us to be a Christian. We talked about that. He called us to follow him. And when he says follow him, many times he turns right around and gives them a title and the title is disciple. The idea of following him becoming like He's coming and going where He's going and thinking like He's thinking and in motion with Him is the whole idea of discipleship, that I am becoming like Him. Uh, Again, I uh, brought this point out several times. I want to bring it out again, even emphasize it differently, is that the word Christian is actually, the title Christian is actually only mentioned about three times in Scripture. Okay, so I'm not really big on somebody calling themselves a Christian. In fact, the first time it was ever used is whenever somebody else called somebody a Christian. You're acting like Jesus. So if anybody in the world should be looking at you calling you a Christian, not you calling you a Christian. I hope you followed that. Because really, it's not about that. Only three times in the Scripture does He mention Christian as Christian used. But what is used 239 times is the word disciples. He calls us to be disciples. And again, to be a disciple is to be a follower, and to be a follower is to be a disciple. So very important that we get that concept down. In fact, whenever we were working, uh, I mentioned this several weeks ago, when we were working on our definition of what a disciple is, we we as navigators, we took uh, the 239 times it's mentioned, disciples is mentioned in the Scriptures, disciples or disciple is mentioned, and we studied every single occurrence, and we drew out different portions of what we saw in different cases and scenarios, and we developed this definition. So here's the third bullet point, if you will, of the 90 second summary that I'm probably uh, two minutes into now. Uh, And that disciple is this, me becoming a fully obedient multiplier following Jesus. A lot of, not a lot of words there, but you can miss out on one of the words. We wanted to reduce it down, make it the bare, 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 minimum, and we didn't want to miss a single thing. So, becoming, it's a process. You're never there. You haven't there. I know some of you think you've arrived, and some of you have, have, that, have that kind of... No, no, no. No, talk to your spouse. They know you haven't arrived. They'll point out some things in your life right now that you have not arrived. You're not there yet. You're becoming, okay? Hopefully, you're becoming. Becoming, what does it say? Fully obedient. Now here, this is really important, that there's not a hidden life. There's not some secret back here. You know, there's not this, this is my private life, but this is my public life. And this is the one I take to church, but this is the one I do when nobody's looking. Fully obedient means that I'm living with, I'm not living with any unconfessed, unrepented of sin in my life. I am like putting everything out there open-handed with God and say, God, okay, is there anything that's not right, anything that's out of balance, anything that's not, that, needs, that needs to be made right? again? I, I, I want it to be made right because I, I want to be, here's the phrase, fully obedient to everything you say. Because you've got a better plan than I've got. I've messed up my plan, okay? No, no, I want to follow you. I'm pursuing your plan that you had originally for my life. I think you get where I'm going with that. Multipliers. That's that whole idea that it's not just you. It's an end with you. It's an ongoing thing. We'll talk more about that a little bit later on. Following Jesus. He's the object. He's where we're moving. He's the point of reference. He's our true north. Following Jesus, not following Mike. Following Jesus, not following the church. Following Jesus, not following anybody in the church. Following Jesus is what we're about. Here's, Here's the fourth bullet point. I am a disciple. To make disciples. That's where that word multiplier comes back in. I am a disciple, period, no. I am a disciple to make disciples. You can't move away. You can't segment the two. It's not, I'm a disciple, I'm sanitizing my life. I'm getting my life uh, cleaned up. I'm a disciple. Hmm. I am a disciple when I am making a disciple. Yes, I'm getting my life cleaned up in the process, but I'm also helping with other people. In their life, in their pursuit, in their journey, in their faith, in their, in their process that they're going through. I am doing that with them. And we talked about this whole fruit analogy and the tree and all that kind of stuff the very first week we did the series. And we talked about the very high, high, high fruit is that you need a ladder. You need somebody to hold the ladder. You need somebody with the resources to buy the ladder. You, if you're going to get to that top fruit, it's going to take you plus you plus. You plus a church. You plus other people. You plus your community task group. You plus. You don't climb to the top without somebody holding the ladder, okay? Well, we talked about some of those high, high fruit kind of things. It's like whenever we offer up our homes and we make our homes available to the foster care needs of our community. And I know that may be brand new to some of y'all hang out with the person next to you. They'll tell you more about that. We got a lot going on with that because there's 500 kids right now in the state of Arkansas. And I talked to the judge of Benton County this morning because I wanted to get the most accurate number. This morning he told me there are 15 children in Benton County alone who are right now in our system that don't have a safe home to go home to. And whenever you start reaching up to that high-level fruit there, what what that means is that means that you're going to be 24-7, 365 days. You're on, okay? It's kind of a big deal. Okay, you're going to kind of need somebody to help hold the ladder. If you're going to be one of those who's going to leverage your career, and going, going to answer the call of God to go to the nations and make disciples of all the nations, which he told us to do in Mark chapter 16, then if you're going to do that, then you're going to be going to the 4.3 billion people out there who don't even have access to the gospel. I'm not even talking about there's a church on every corner and they get to pick and choose like Baskin Robbins. We're talking about there's not a church, there's not a Bible, there's not a missionary, and there needs to be one. We're called to go and make disciples to the ends of the earth. And that's one of the heartbeats of our, of our church. But one of the things we've got to learn as we sit there and do the summary, that you might think as Jesus has been going here, and we've been looking at Jesus kind of in this chronological order, and he starts out with this band of gypsy kind of guys and he calls them and their fishermen and he calls them and their tax collectors and he calls them and their their extremists. He calls all these different people and he calls them to walk with him, to follow him. You might think it's all going to go smooth. He heals thousands of, or he heals hundreds of people and he, he feeds thousands of people. He does all these great miracles of God. And isn't it beautiful and awesome and all the people are crowding in around him? You remember all that kind of stuff? Well, you might think everything's going up and to the right, right? wrong. It doesn't always go up and to the right. In fact, I'll say this, and you know this already, ministry's messy. Why? Because people are messy. And sometimes things don't go up and to the right. Sometimes they go up and then down. And the reality is we think success is always going to go up and to the right, and sometimes it goes up and then backwards, up and then in circles, up and then off the map, off the chart. And really the reality of what success may look like, hey, listen, this to bring some consolation to some of those who feel like you're in the pit because things aren't working out the way you, you thought. Even Jesus lost some disciples that were following him. I, I know you know Judas. Judas is scary. He's got the bad name. But what about John chapter 6 when a whole mass, a whole herd of them walk away from him? Take your Bibles We'll be find, finding john chapter six we 're going to be there in a moment. where the, the scenario where this is taking place is he 's in the city of Capernaum, and in chapter six it 's a whole bunch of content and we're only going to skim the surface so you go back on your own time this week your assignment is to restudy john chapter 6 in detail read section by section by section make your own little notes as you go talk about it in your communitas group let that be kind of a a, a time uh, together but what you're going to find here is jesus is going to say this i am statement now it's not the only i am statement see jesus knew he didn't have an identity crisis. He knew who he was, and he even put metaphors with who he was. In fact, he had seven different metaphors that he used throughout the Gospel of John. They're all recorded in the Gospel of John. He talks about, I'm the, I'm the light of the world. He talks about I'm the resurrection and the life. Now, whenever he does that one, that's really pretty kind of cool because he just raised Lazarus from the dead who'd been stinking in the grave for four days. So whenever he goes, hey, I'm the resurrection and the life, and people go, Lazarus, yeah, okay, you're the resurrection and the life. Yeah, you're a thumbs up on that one. I'm the living water, I'm the door, I'm the, I'm the good shepherd, I'm, I'm the true vine. He says all these, but the one that really stumped them was the very first one. Actually, it's the one that really got in their crawl. And it was the one whenever he said, I'm the bread of life. And in John chapter 6, verse 35, that's where he said it. He said, I'm the bread of life. And he introduces this thing. But no, 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 you've got to realize the context because just earlier in the same chapter, he has just fed them fish and chips, okay? 5,000 people of them had fish and chips for everyone. Everyone had as much as they wanted, and there were still some left over. It was an incredible day at the lake with Jesus and fish and chips. And so they, they had that. And then he walks on the water, and he, and he does his miracle things. He's like, man, I like following Jesus. And then he goes so far as to say, now, I hey, listen, by the way, I'm the bread of life. What's that? And it, he said, I came down out of heaven. That really starts bothering these guys. That really starts messing with them. Because whenever you say you're the bread of life, you know what you're saying? You're saying, I am the sustenance of life. I am the real meaning of life. There's a lot of other religions out there. There's a lot of other people buying for this. But I'm telling you, you take me, you eat of me, I will satisfy you. I'll make your life complete and that really set some of them off and we're going to find two different times where they start grumbling amongst themselves because of jesus's words let's read one of those times in the last part of chapter six where a whole thing in chapter six is what i just summarized there but we're gonna go down to verse 60 okay big chapter lots of verses this is what he says and when many of the disciples heard it so we're not talking about just random people We're talking about disciples. Remember, disciple means follower. Follower means disciple. The disciples heard it. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? There's a bit of a turn of events that's going to happen here. It's like Facebook where you decide to unfollow someone. There's some disciples that are about to unfollow if we're not careful. But Jesus, knowing in Himself that His disciples were grumbling. That's the second, actually, occurrence of the grumbling. We'll look at the first one in a moment. About this. And said to them, Do you you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? What if you saw me going back into heaven? Would that make a difference? And we know later on that will happen, but we're not there yet. They don't know that. They don't see it. It is it, 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 oh, excuse me. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. You're not going to find the sustenance of life in this world, in anything in flesh in this world. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you, now these are the disciples, there are some of you who do not, Believe, Wow, Whoa. disciples not believing for Jesus knew from the beginning who were who they who those were and who did not believe and who would betray him, and we all know who that one is, and he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless he is granted him by the Father and here is a pivotal verse. After, these, after this, many of his disciples turned back no longer to walk with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? I want you to sit in that for a moment. Jesus has just performed miracles, has just fattened up and fed with fish and bread, and they saw a miracle, just walked on water. And now they're turning away from Him? What's that saying? Many, not, not a few, not a few random people on the peripheral. Many, there's a mass exodus here of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him, unfollowed Him. What was Jesus thinking? He should have just stuck to the miracle ministry. He should have just stuck to making people feel good. He should have just kept, kept his analogies and metaphors to himself. He should have just kept, kept making people happy. He's now messing things up. He's messing that, 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 that movement from the bottom to the top. And, and now people are leaving him. What's he thinking? And now what was he thinking whenever he said, Do you want to go away too? Are you going to leave me too? I have to believe when we see all the compassionate moments of Jesus, Jesus had to be brokenhearted. After all that he had done for them, around them, for their families, and they're walking away, I think it's the saddest verse in the Bible. But we see it in our culture today. Students go away to college. In fact, 60% of those who go away to college, most of them, will walk away from the church. I mean, it's just statistically what's happening. But it's not just them. It's it's happening all over. It's happening. It's happening. It's not just college students. I I remember it happened when we, we talk about the millennials doing that. But listen, it happened. I'm not a millennial. It happened in my generation where some of the guys that I was in the same youth group with in college walked away from God and some of them, my 20, 30 years I had my college uh, high school reunion this summer, some of them are still not back with Jesus following again. I mean, how do, how how does this happen? When does this happen? How do we stop this? I mean, did Jesus need to go back, change his, his, his strategy? Or is this... This is the natural progression of a movement with God see, there are certain times and seasons in our life when these things happen. One is transitions. I think that's one of the big times it happens. It happens, you transition from high school to college. And it happens whenever you move from A to B. Maybe you move from Minnesota to Arkansas or you move from California to Arkansas and all of a sudden you had this great experience in church back over here, but you come here and you can't find it and you kind of get real busy and live man, they're, they're requiring so much of me and God, God just becomes kind of the second fiddle to you. It could be that uh, you you get married and you don't marry somebody that you're on the same page with spiritually. And so instead of fighting about it every single Sunday, who's going to raise the kids, where we're going to go to church and all that kind of stuff. So what you do is you just kind of don't go anywhere. A large, large number of people, that's the case. Transitions. Trials is another time. When you're living a certain way and you think that life ought to go a certain way and it's just not fair when life broad T-bones you. Life T-bones you and you go, hey, God, where are you at? You failed me, God. Because you failed me, I'm giving up on you and I'm walking away. That's the time when people give up on God walk away from Him. There's one more. And there's probably half a dozen others, but these are just the ones that are just glaring from my 26 years and 27 years in ministry, and that's when faith becomes inconvenient. Oh, my goodness, how we are in America. We live for our conveniences. And when faith gets a little inconvenient, ask a little bit more of us, when the church is going to do something, going to have a big initiative, dwell 12 wells in Africa, you know, that's just not for me. I, I just need that for my own presence under the tree. Or whatever it is. I mean, it's not, it's not giving, it's, it's time, it's energy, it's focus, it's lifestyle needs to change. Faith starts interfering with my lifestyle, becomes a little inconvenient. Church talks about serving one, worshiping one. Well, you know, I don't have enough time, I need some time to myself. Faith becomes a little inconvenient. It's a lot easier just to go down the street to that other church. They don't say anything about that kind of stuff. Think about the rich young ruler. We talked about him quickly last week whenever he talked about how he comes to Jesus and he gives his 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 rap sheet was actually pretty pretty impressive. His resume was was really pretty impressive. He didn't have much of a rap sheet because he had been since a teenager, been obeying the Ten Commandments and had been living the Ten Commandments. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Hey, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. So what does Jesus say? He says, Yeah, 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 you come and follow me. But see, Jesus knew something about this guy because he was a rich young ruler that he loved his stuff a whole lot. And so he said, Listen, listen, God, Jesus, God, no, he will. They don't play second to anything. And so Jesus kind of puts him on the spices. Listen, you go get rid of all that stuff, and then you can follow me. It's one of the 20 times that he uses follow me invitation, was with the rich young ruler. And, and what does the rich young ruler do? He goes, Okay, follow me, follow Jesus, follow my stuff. Follow, follow, follow my stuff, follow Jesus. And pretty soon, he's, no matter of seconds, he chose his stuff. And you know the rest of the story. We looked at it last week. Why? Not when. That's when. Why would anybody walk away from following Jesus? There may be 15 reasons why, but let me just... At this story right here in John 6, I see three. Jot them down. Maybe it fits some of you right now who's like on the fence about following or not following or unfollowing. I don't know. One is people settle for the fake Jesus. Jesus. Okay, I use that word fake Jesus because there's a lot of fake news out there these days I've been hearing, you know, and fake news and who's right. We don't know who's right, who's telling the truth, fake news and all that kind of stuff. Well, there's a lot of fake Jesuses too. There's the cool homeboy Jesus over here who never tells you to do anything. and He just loves you and accepts you just as you are, you know, warts and all. And he just loves you and lets you keep on living out that, that kind of lifestyle. He's your homeboy Jesus. That's the cool Jesus. And then you got the cosmic killjoy Jesus over here who, who doesn't want you to have any fun in life. He wants to steal away anything fun out of your life. And somewhere in the middle is the real Jesus. With the real Jesus please stand up? Because when you look at Scripture, they struggle with who Jesus was. Even when Jesus was walking on the earth, Jesus asked his disciples in Mark in Matthew 16, said, who do people say that I am? Well, there's a whole public opinion out there on who you are. Well, you're, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Elijah, some say you're just one of the prophets. They had all kinds of perspectives. You ask his family, in Mark, uh, is it worth jotting down? Mark 3, 21, the family thought he needed a custodial care. Uh, whenever other people in uh, in Luke 7, 34, uh, 34, they thought he was a drunkard and a glutton, and, and in Mark uh, three twenty two, they called him demon possessed. So there's all manner of opinion of who Jesus was. And in this passage, it's interesting. Again, we're not reading the whole thing. But if you go back to verse 40, right after Jesus drops the bomb on them, that he's the bread of life, he's the sustenance of life, he completes us, he satisfies us. In verse 35, that's the bomb drops. Verse 40, five verses later, this is what is said. Jesus says this, This is the will of the Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Jesus is speaking big picture now. You look to me, I got the life. You look to me. I got life now, and I got life in the future. You want to follow me? I, I, I can, I can lead you to where you need to go. This is the response, verse forty-one of the Jews. They grumbled about him because he said, "I'm the bread that came down from heaven." Very clear. I grumbled about him because of what he said. They didn't like what he said. He's the bread that came down out of heaven. And then they say this statement. They said, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph whose father and mother we know? We know this guy. He grew up in Nazareth. His dad was a carpenter. His mother was Mary. Now, I know there's a bit of a strange story about his birth, and we can't get all that one kind of worked out. That was kind of a unique kind of thing how that happened. But, hey, this Jesus, we know him. He's just a good man who can do rabbits out of hats. He's an illusionist. He can do some pretty incredible food tricks too. He's, that's, that's who we're talking about, right? It's not Jesus God. They didn't believe. They had a very small view of who Jesus was. See, when you have a small view of who Jesus is, if Jesus is just your homeboy, if Jesus is just your lucky charm and you pull him out and you rub him and, and polish him up and say nice things to him whenever you need some little help or Jesus is your cosmic kill. You've got, you got all these different forms of Jesus that can line up here on the stage and we have a very small limited view of who Jesus is. Guess What? there's going to be a whole lot of other things that are going to get a lot bigger out there that you're going to be drawn to and you're going to replace Jesus with them. And Jesus is just going to be the guy born of Joseph and Mary from Nazareth. Having a high view of Jesus is so critical to being a healthy disciple. Not the fake Jesus, the real Jesus. This is what John R. W. Stott said in his book, The Radical Disciple. He said, The discipleship principle is clear. The poorer our vision of Christ, the poorer our discipleship will be. Whereas the richer our vision of Christ, the richer our discipleship will be. If we don't get Jesus down, if we don't understand who he is, not who we think he is, but who he is, we're going to miss it. And this whole following, Jesus is going to be on again, off again, relationships. I'm following you, I'm not following you, I'm following you, I'm not following you. If we don't get Jesus down, we got to get Jesus down because what will happen is popularity. There's so many other gods out there, but popularity is one of those. Popularity will become greater. I, I want to be more popular. I want to be more accepted. I want to be more uh, a part of the club. I want to have more approval. I want to be accepted on that team. I want to be first chair. I want, to, I, I want the team to accept me. I want my coworkers to accept me. And we will live offering up our lives. to public opinion winning over the hearts of other people being people pleasers in life not jesus pleasers if we have a small view of jesus popularity may become your god also power could become your god I got to get the promotion. You know, I'm not praying that God would tell me where to go and serve and live and do for him for the kingdom of God. I'm praying that God will give me a promotion so I can get more money, so I can get more power. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to throw a tip towards God every now and then, and I'm going to give him the credit if it happens, But really I know it's me. Are any other scenarios of power? I want to have power in the court. I want to have power in the boardroom. I want to have power in the classroom. I want to have power in the bedroom. I want to have power in the living room. I want to have power. And then there's the pleasure, God. Beware of it. Because it's the one that comes on subtly and has overtaken our culture. Where we live for pleasure. We live for the dopamine drip of the brain. The dope of the brain that if it's bringing us pleasure, we'll go with it. If it's not bringing us pleasure, we won't go with it. We need a clearer view of Jesus. If we have a small Jesus, these will become our gods. Who's Jesus in your life? Is he just a good teacher, a miracle guy? I don't know. Number two, people get stuck and stalled In their following Jesus, they get stuck and stalled in their following Jesus part of life. And when you get stuck and stalled out, then you get bored. Things become mundane, things aren't so exciting. Here's the good thing about following Jesus the entry into following Jesus, the bar is really low. We talked about that two weeks ago when we talked about Matthew, and we just profiled Matthew. There was no reason Matthew qualified to follow Jesus. And then he invites Jesus to be with tax collectors and sinners and have dinner with them. And you, you go on and you read other, other accounts of the gospel. Well, he goes into Zacchaeus. He literally spends the night at Zacchaeus' house. So he's not just dinner and, hey, I'm there for a few hours and I'm out of here. No, he spends the night. So he hangs out with these people. And yet these are the people who become one of the most influential gospel sharers and transformation people. Matthew writes the gospel of Matthew, records the life of Jesus that we read from today. I I, I want us to understand the bar of following Jesus is quite low, but the transformation work of Jesus is incredibly high. He will accept you right where you are, but He will love you. He loves you just enough that He won't want to leave you there. He's going to change you for the better to the life that He intended you to live from the very beginning of time. And the deeper you dive into that life, the more you'll understand Jesus and God and how it all ties together, the more you'll understand this cosmos, the more you'll understand life and the big pictures of life and how it all fits together. And, and, you know, it's going to take eternity to understand infinity. And Jesus is infinite. It will take eternity. If you go to verse 56, you find where... uh, he talks about this whole thing that really stumps them. He's ratcheting it up for them. And in verse uh, 56, uh, he says this, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood. Ooh, a little gory now. Now we've got a little cannibalism, right? And abides in me and I in him and living uh, as the living Father sent me, I live uh, and, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Now again, he's using the metaphor. They're caught up in the in the the grossness of the cannibalism. But you gotta realize Jesus is every step he takes with his disciples, he's, he's asking. More and more of them. He's making more and more of them. He's transforming them more and more to look more and more like him. It's kind of like if you want to run a a marathon. You might be on the couch today running a 5K in a few months and running a half marathon in April. And and then running a full marathon six months later. You're going to progress. You're going to go in the gym and pick up uh, and and squat snatch uh, uh, 250 pounds. You have to build up that. You grow up to that. You build up to that. Well, Jesus is building up, and every time he turns around, he's calling them to more. You find where he calls them up up each and every time. But now notice verse 60. They have a hard time going with him. And when many of the disciples heard it, this is a hard saying. How can we listen to it? The word hard is the word where we get the English word scandal from. Jesus, what you're saying is a scandal. We can't, we can't do that. We can't go with you that, like that. See, you find in, in the Gospels where Jesus at times says, just come and see. Just come and see. And there's other times he says, come and follow. That's a, that's a little bit more. Another time he says, come and be with me. And another time he says, come and remain in me. This is where he gets there. You know, ultimately he's going to call them to come and go. Go from me and go with me to the ends of the earth. Here's what I want you to understand about Grace Point. It's been this way from the beginning and I hope it never dies. That we are a progressive movement that's moving forward, that's calling people up and out. Yeah, we'll take anybody anybody, but God's going to call you up and call you out. Becoming fully obedient multipliers following Jesus. And and so in a couple of weeks, whenever we have our North Point New Members class, that every new member that's ever joined our church has gone through this class I'm going to sit down, I'm going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to be in this room, and I'm going to be talking to a handful of people. And, and, and we invite anybody, but only those who want to come can come. And so you come on Friday night, you come on Saturday morning, and we hang out together, and we answer a lot of questions. But here's what you're going to hear me say. We're a movement. We're not a static, stale, stuck Church, we're a movement and we're moving somewhere, and that movement is where Jesus is moving. We're following him. You know, take it take him just just take yesterday in point. I couldn't have timed this any better, but just take yesterday when over 300 of our members say, hey, you know what? I could be doing a lot of things on Saturday, but I'm going to go serve the foster care community of Northwest Arkansas. And they come by the droves. We literally two weeks ago had to cut off the registration because we didn't have any more jobs for anybody. Now, how often does that happen? That's movement. That's energy. I loved it. Now, what what all happened uh, yesterday, just to kind of put things into perspective? Had a hundred adults here on on site that were going through a foster parents training conference. A hundred families opening up their homes or have already opened their homes. We had 56 foster families represented at the conference. A hundred plus children attended our one day day camp, if you will, out in the back where Amy Sanders said it was the best one ever. We had 50 teens from area group homes. They don't have a home. They live in a group home. And they were here being loved on and being served. We had seven backyards that went over and we made them over, mulched and weeded and mowed. And you're like, hey, I want to sign up for that. I need my yard. No, we're not going to mow your yard. We're not going to pull your weeds. And unless you're a foster family, let me know. And we'll come to you. We even had one person go to the ER yesterday. Serving. 150 family care kits were packaged up and made available for families. They had movie night in there, a time where they could be with a family as a family. And here's the one I'm really excited about. Backpacks. 150 backpacks were made up. That's it. And we we got a great relationship with DHS. They love us and we love them. And um, we made 150 backpacks, that whenever a kid is taken out of a home, as you can imagine, it can be violent and traumatic, and many times they 're left with only the clothes on their back that the very first thing they 're going to get is a backpoint from grace backpack from grace Point that will have all that will have many of the essential needs that they need in their back backpack. It happens because of a church that wants to be a part of a movement that wants to fund a movement that wants to be engaged in a movement and so thank you to you guys if you were a part yes. If you were a part of yesterday, would you stand up right now? Yesterday, if you were a part of yesterday in any capacity, give them a hand. That was a big day yesterday. I hope that you're not stalled and stuck in your faith. I hope that you don't have a fake Jesus. And number three, people unfollow Jesus when they hold out rather than sell out. They hold out rather than sell out. And this started happening in the first century, in the first church. We're no different today than they were back then. First John says it like this, these people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Why? Otherwise they would have stayed with us. When they left, they proved that they did not belong with us. It wasn't that they were kicked out. They just chose to unfollow. And what a sad tale that is. And a lot of people these days, what they do is they say, okay, I want to follow Jesus, but I really want to follow the world. And they're going to be like this for a while until they can't be like that anymore. And many times people will end up back in. So the way, the way we, we the, the way we get away from not following is that we we just sell out. We go, I'm in, God. I'm, I'm all in. I, I'm not holding anything back. There's not there's not any part of me. I love the statement whenever and it had to break Jesus' heart when he turned to his twelve and he said this: Do you want to go away as well? And Peter. Gives two confessions in the Gospels, one in Matthew chapter 16, which, by the way, Matthew records. And also here, here's the very first one in John chapter, chronologically, here in John chapter 6. And this is where Peter speaks for the whole. And he says this, he said this, Lord, to whom shall we go? I love that statement because he basically said, we're sold out. We we got rid of our boats. We got rid of our nets. We're all, in, you know, we're all in this. Jesus, I don't know where we're gonna go. And we're all in. You have the words of eternal life. We're not going anywhere, Jesus. We're sold out, and we're bought in. And there's no turning back. No turning back. The beauty of of, of following Jesus is not going to be easy. I I made this statement in the first service and I don't want to miss it in this service because it's so important. Salvation is free. It costs you nothing. Following Jesus isn't free. It costs you everything. It costs you everything. Entry level, no problem. We're all entry level, but God's going to call you to a higher level. Are you ready to do that? Holding out is not what you need to be. When you look at Jesus, whenever he called, he didn't call us, hey, hey, come join my church. Hey, hey, come join my religion. Jesus had one invitation that we have been hounding on week after week and it was the invitation, follow me. When you look at Peter and you look at Peter's life, you see the ups and the downs and the all arounds. We just read one of the confessions there, right? You, you, got, you got the confession there and, and it's just this beautiful thing that happens and he confesses and he basically says, I'm all in. He follows him. But then we also know what happens later on in Matthew. Matthew it says that every one of the disciples left him. All the disciples deserted him and ran away. And we know Peter denied him three times. So Peter, there for a moment in time, said, I'm unfollowing Jesus for a moment in time. Because in the third time he did that, it wrecked him. It messed him up. He knew that he had unfollowed. He knew what he had done. And he could have barely forgiven himself. Judas never came back to Christ. He went out and tried to fix the problem himself and hung himself. But what does Jesus do with Peter? He asked him three times in John 21, Do you love me, Peter? Yeah. Do you love me, Peter? Yeah. Do you love me, Peter? Three times. He redeems him three times. He denies him three times. He says, Do you love me, Peter? I love the imagery of that. And then if you look at the lifespan of Peter's life, the very first words that Jesus spoke to Peter was, Follow me. And the very last words you recorded in the Gospels is, I, "I, You will follow me. You follow me. So here's here's where we're at. I don't know whether you follow him or unfollow him. I don't know whether you're with him or you're against him. I don't know if you've sold out or you're holding out. I don't know if you're stuck. I don't know if you're stalled. I don't know if you have a big Jesus or a little Jesus. But here's what. You're going to unfollow him and you're going to be torn apart if you don't get that nailed down. I pray to God that you will choose to sell out and follow him, whatever Wherever, whenever. Would you pray with me? These moments together, I want us to think deeply. And I want us to answer Three questions with your head bowed and your eyes closed and you're searching your own heart. Do you have a fake Jesus? Or do you have an infinite, indescribable, uncontainable Jesus? Have you traded your fake Jesus for something else? Power, popularity, pleasure, or whatever. Are you stuck? Are you stalled? I I just encourage you to embrace him as the sustenance of your life, to consume him as the sustenance of your life. Are you holding on? Or have you sold out? Father, you know our hearts. You know where we're at. We cannot hide. Some in this room are grumbling at you Jesus because life hasn't been fair. Some are grumbling at you Lord because you're asking more of them than they want to give. Some are grumbling because Lord They just don't see you as the God of the universe who holds life and has life and offers life to all of us. Lord, whatever is keeping us from full on following you today, make that clear. Even if we have to follow alone, may we follow alone. Even if we're the only person in our family that follows you, Lord, may we follow you alone. But because we are disciples who make disciples, Lord, we will not walk alone for long.